Welcome to another episode of Web Dev Weekly, the weekly podcast about web development. I'm Brad Garropy. And I'm Richard Gottlieber. And this week, we're going to be talking about free hosting and some of the different options you have when it comes to getting your projects up and running on the web without paying for it. And I think that's one of the best things that enables us as web developers. Uh, hosting projects and getting them out there for the world to see can be done absolutely for free. So this means any of our side tinkerings can be shared with everybody else. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think that recently the world of free hosting options has just kind of exploded. And one thing, so back a couple of years, like AWS, you had like AWS, maybe Heroku, and that was basically it when it came to like free options, as far as I was aware of. Yeah, I, I think other than that, you would have like a virtual private servers where you would pay for a server that would exist forever and you were just kind of renting a piece of it. I think it was the cloud stuff that really broke this wide open. Yeah, I, the first time I remember hosting a website for completely free, like not ad supported or anything, was probably on GitHub with like a Jekyll blog. And I think that was kind of the start of it. So I think that VPSs still, you can't really get those for free. They're ridiculously cheap. Like you can get a server ready to go in like less than a minute for five bucks a month. You know, you can use like Linode or DigitalOcean or what is it? AWS LightSail, I think is their, their name for it. You can do any of those. And that's still like amazing because $5 is, it's nothing when it comes to like a fully hosted computer in a data center. But when it came to like free hosting, I remember like back when like Ruby was just hitting the scene and Jekyll, like static blogs. And I think that that kind of kickstarted this whole thing was the idea of like static sites and static site generation. Yes. Yeah. So like pre-rendering most of our websites really leads to this cool place where you, we just need a static host for files in order to, to get this thing online. And because of that, there were a ton of ho hosting options coming up for static websites. And maybe like, maybe we should kind of go over our path, our free hosting path, like where we started, all the different ones we've tried and what our maybe current favorite is. And we can kind of dive into each one of those. Sure, sure. You wanna kick that off? Yeah, so I, I'm with you. I originally started on GitHub Pages with a Jekyll blog because that was kind of their first class citizen. That was the thing that GitHub Pages did very well. Uh, had tight integration with Jekyll if you created like I think it was like a docs directory and stuck a Jekyll site in there. It would like do it automatically on a pages branch or something. From there, where did I move over to next? It was Netlify after that. And Netlify's like best friend was Gatsby. So I shifted over to like a JavaScript based website with Gatsby. Again, it's all like pre-rendered. So Netlify was like the best static host for Gatsby at the time. And since then, uh, Netlify has still been my primary static host, but I've really branched out and explored different things. I've hosted websites directly from S3 uh, with the CDN in front of it. I've hosted websites with Vercel, uh, which is a, another really interesting option we should talk about. I've hosted websites on 
Firebase. And I think that might be it. What about you? So I've definitely, I started probably with, it was either the Jekyll on GitHub or Heroku about the same time. And it was the same basic principle, right? Like using uh, Ruby is what I was messing with back then, um, just for like personal random side project type stuff. And I think it was probably those two um, using them. And then there was a while there where I didn't use free hosting like at all because I just paid five bucks a month for a Linode server and anything I wanted to use, I just threw on that server because it was there and I was already paying for it. Recently though, I've been like really amazed at how easy things like Netlify are. So I've used Netlify quite a bit recently in the past year and it is ridiculous in my opinion. So like, you know, I think we could talk about like the one thing that's making it all easy. Most of these static web hosts, they integrate directly with Git. And I think that's like the big key, the big game changer from using a a virtual private server to these specialized hosts. Yeah, because if I'm remembering correctly, like that was one of the pain points with like Heroku was you'd have to set up your Git repository, wherever that was, like GitHub. Then you'd also have to push that Git commit to Heroku separately. So like it was like a double commit flow that was set up. Whereas like as you mentioned, the way that Netlify and all these other providers like Gatsby's thing, Vercel, um, I guess GitHub pages integrates with Git. I don't know if you count that as integrating because it's the same place, but yeah. Um, but the way they all integrate in where it's like, you know, you push a commit and it's like, hey, we have new code, let's recompile is, yeah, it just makes it so easy and seamless. It's ridiculous. And it's neat that all of these services also offer CLI tools to do the same thing. So Heroku, like we were talking about, would have their Heroku CLI, where you would like, in some continuous integration server, you would pull down your latest Git commit, build the thing, and run the Heroku CLI to push it off. But Netlify has the same thing, Vercel has the same thing, or you can just lean on their you know, integrated or GitHub integrations in order to like mm-hmm. watch your repos for changes. And then you can run all those deploys right there in GitHub actions. Like, right. If, if you've seen it now, the integration is so tight that anytime a PR is even made that is built, the workflows run and then deployed as like a deploy preview. Yeah. I think too, a lot of this comes from the fact that we're getting to this kind of like, developer utopia almost where as a front-end developer or back-end developer you don't have to be concerned as much with the setup of everything and i think it's almost like because we are as like a development i don't know community kind of specializing you know so like netlify is basically taking all of the devops work and putting it behind a nice interface you know and like basically abstracting away all the complicated bits, which you don't really need to worry about until you get to a certain point as far as like the size of your app and everything goes. But for just messing around and just for like side projects, static sites, stuff like that, it's really easy to kind of abstract those away where as a web developer, you don't have to know like, okay, so I need to go to AWS. I need to log into the console. I have to set up like route 53 routing to everything. Um, you know, I have to go and like set up my S3 buckets for my static assets. Okay. I have to go and set up like, you know, the different, I don't even remember what they're called, but like the EC2 instances, you know, to like actually host the website, you know, it's all this complicated 
infrastructure, like setup DevOps work is what I would call it behind the scenes that now is abstracted away through these tools. And it's becoming commonplace for those tools to be just like the status quo, which is to me, like when it comes to front end stuff, like awesome, because you can just focus on making an application and getting it out there. Yeah. And I think AWS is, is the bedrock of the whole thing. And now that has been, you know, they, they commoditized compute and storage and all that stuff. So now you're, you're not going to really touch AWS raw, uh, at this point, unless you're like a very, like, uh, we do that at my company where we have somebody dedicated to our AWS configuration. If you're a smaller company, if you're a startup, if it's a side project, you're going to reach for one of these tools, one of these free hosts that essentially wraps AWS for you and just says, I'm only going to show you what you care about. So let's talk about the things that these free hosts do do. We kind of mentioned before, you're not getting a full-fledged server. These free hosts are mostly uh, tailored around serverless functions or, you know, kind of like whatever they call AWS Lambda. So a serverless function or a static website. And they also like some of them also offer things like uh, scheduled serverless functions or like kind of cron jobs and background functions. And that's like the, the more advanced kind of static host. But you're, you're starting to be able to even set up things that you would traditionally need uh, a dedicated server for. But these hosting companies will handle that for you. Yeah, I agree. It's as long as you don't need like significant co computational stuff happening. They're fantastic for that. Um, one thing I am curious about, like what your thoughts are. So like Netlify, I know runs on AWS. I'm sure some of the other ones do too. What do you think about the fact that like, oh no, it's, it's all AWS under the hood, you know? Cause like really it's either going to be Azure, AWS or GCP, like under the hood. Um, while, and, and I don't know if this is like taking too much of a little tangent here, but as far as pricing and stuff like that goes, I don't know if you've ever looked at AWS's like pricing console, but it is anxiety inducing for me personally, because like they have free tiers. But most of their free tier stuff is like up to a certain point and then they'll start charging you. Whereas with like Netlify or Vercel or Gatsby, like you don't have to give them a credit card to begin. And so if you get to like your free tier limit, they just stop doing stuff for you, which like these are two sides of the problem, right? Because like if you get whatever on the front page of Hacker News and everything's blowing up and it's going great for you and suddenly like you just shut down, well, that's not good. Flip side, you have a free product and you're on the front page of Hacker News and, and then AWS is like, here's your $10,000 bill for the month. That's not going to be great either. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a double-edged sword. I've, I've experienced one side of that. Um, one month, I made too many calls to Google Maps or something and I actually got a bill. And let me tell you, like after, it was like a couple cents. I think it was like, I had to pay like 16 cents or something, but like, alarms were going off <laughs> in my head when I got that email, you know? Right. So I went in and I said, let's check out these consoles and try to make some, some rules or something. And I threw my arms up. I could not figure that out. Like the, the billing and payment rules are just as complex as any code you would ever write. Just to say, if my bill hits $25, stop doing things or something. Like it right. was very difficult to figure out. Yeah, it's putting like a limit on 
how much you're willing to spend. Definitely when it comes to the compute stuff is very hard. I know from like looking at ads in Google and stuff like that, it's really easy to put a limit on your spend there. And I don't know, I wish they'd bring that to it, but I think that that's also one of those things that might be an advantage of using something like Netlify or Vercel or like Render to give you kind of like a, a limiting factor there. Yeah. And also, like I've noticed, I don't know, when it comes to the big cloud providers, they seem to charge very incrementally. So if you are a very large company, it's fantastic because it's in small increments that they will increase your bill. Whereas these, I don't know what to call them, the, I guess, like second wave of hosting providers that are built on top of the the cloud hosts seem to have larger increments, but it's more understandable. It almost reminds me of like what we've been trained from like cell phone contracts and stuff like that, you know, where it's like, if you go over your data, then the next gig is going to cost this much instead of like, you know, each like 10th of a gig is going to cost you so much. Yeah. Like, so AWS, raw AWS is actually cheaper than any of these other hosts, you know, Right. We should make that clear. At the end of the day, using AWS, GCP, or Azure is going to be the cheapest thing. However, it's just going to be much easier to understand what you're paying for and how many like uses or invocations you have because Netlify isn't charging you by the gigabit second. You know what I mean? Netlify says you have a million serverless function calls. We don't care. Right. And Netlify will kind of foot that bill through AWS because at the end of the day, you're probably not hitting it. And Netlify is going to come out on top in that case. So, yeah, it depends on your scale. But the, the bigger you are, the more you're going to tend to using like raw cloud providers. Right. Yeah. I think once you're big enough to have a like DevOps team, it makes sense. Right. But I think that then yep. going back to like, being just a web developer, especially talking about like the free tiers, which is I think like our our thought when we started this conversation was to talk about like what you can get for free and like putting stuff out there. It's amazing what you can get for free now and the power like that these different companies offer you. I know. Do you want to maybe talk through? I know we talked about ones that we've used, but also like ones that we're more familiar with. Just talking through a few of them, like we touched on Netlify. And Vercel, I personally have used Netlify. I've never used Vercel myself. I don't know if you want to talk about your experience with that and like any pros, cons, differences between the two. Yeah. So here's how I view them. If you're, I almost view them as working well with specific technologies. When Netlify first came out, it very much advertised Gatsby as like a first class citizen because it would auto detect in the Git repo that you linked up if it was a Gatsby project. And so you didn't have to do any configuration, it would just know. Um, but as more frameworks came out, you know, you could specify your own build command and things like that. So Netlify was great because it, it didn't take a credit card to get started. You could have a website up and running in just a few seconds by connecting it to your GitHub account and picking a repository. And then it also offered serverless functions. I feel like it was one of the early free hosts to offer serverless functions. And all you had to do, no matter what your project actually was, as long as you had a functions folder and 
a file that exported a specific function signature, you had a serverless function that you could call after deploying your website. So on the flip side, Vercel is very, very similar. But instead of like Gatsby as a first-class citizen, Vercel was very much promoting Next.js because they're from the same company, right? What do you make of that? Like a web host like Vercel also being responsible for Next.js in this case? Because I know there's some pretty strong opinions out there about the fact that like some stuff just works a little bit better on Vercel hosting if you're using Next.js. Yes, yes. And Next.js is a perfect example of like almost a hybrid application framework. It's, it's not fully static. It has this thing called incremental static regeneration or server-side rendering. This framework can actually support a lot. And so Vercel is not strictly a static host. Uh, they have uh, evolved along with Next.js to, to be the best of both worlds. So the way a typical static host works is that when you request a page, it's pulled off a CDN, but Next.js has two other modes. So the other mode you might think of would be server-side rendered. Vercel supports that for Next.js. Because all of your routes are actually turned into serverless functions. And so when you server-side render, uh, you're not actually hitting like a long running node server. You're spinning up a serverless function and running that build process essentially. And the third piece Next.js does is incremental static regeneration. And it's this really weird hybrid of static and server-side rendered where it'll serve the page statically, but then like go tell Vercel to rebuild it and then put it back on the CDN. And okay. you can have like a, a time frame it says like, do this at least every 60 seconds or something. So you're, it's going to be a, a slower experience for the first user, but faster after that. So Vercel and Next.js have really evolved together and I appreciate that. And now Vercel has done uh, a lot of other stuff. They've got analytics baked in for free. Uh, Netlify has analytics as well, but uh, I believe it's a paid feature when you use their DNS server. So Netlify also offers DNS. Yeah, I know there's definitely a bunch of stuff within Netlify that I haven't used too, like that, as far as like the different features I've mostly just used it for like hosting static sites, but I know they have like form submissions and they limit that on the free tier. And they also have, I think it's like user auth because I know one of their free tier features is like a thousand active users. And so like that kind of stuff, I don't know, I haven't really looked into it too much yet as far as using that on a free host. I actually have, I built, I built a whole application using uh, Nellify's uh, free authentication service essentially. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely some problems with it. Um, it essentially only works when you're hosted on Netlify and you can't really pull down a development environment well. You actually have to deploy, even if it's to a preview branch or something like that, in order for your authentication to work. But the beautiful part is anytime you run a serverless function that's hosted on Netlify, all of the authentication is just done automatically. And that serverless function is essentially handed as an input, the authenticated user, and you can trust that. That's nice. Do you know with the local dev environment, have you tried the using the Netlify like CLI to run 
the functions and everything locally and it still doesn't play nice? Still doesn't play nice. So Netlify dev works awesome for everything else and it pulls down your environment variables and all that stuff. So I don't have to have any local .env files, but uh, it does not integrate with the authentication service. Gotcha. What is the, so since you've used it, like how hard would it be to like take that auth and move it somewhere else? Or is it like completely like custom to Netlify? Like that's one of my biggest beefs is like side note, like Gatsby stuff. Like the magic of Gatsby plugins is amazing. But like if you were to try to do that somewhere else, the refactoring would take a bit. Um, what's the like Netlify authentication like in that regard? So it is kind of cool because it uses this open source library called GoTrue. And so I, I believe you could take that and host it somewhere and replicate the environment. Of course, Netlify provides like a really easy UI to see your users and, you know, delete or whatever you need to do and manage all of it. You would have to rebuild all that, but at least hosting the authentication portion, I think you could redo that somehow. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's always good to hear that like it, it's possible to move somewhere else, right? Because that makes, to, to me at least, that makes it more appealing. So you're not like fully locked in if you were to decide to take it somewhere else. One other thing, I'm curious on your thoughts on this. So like comparing Netlify to say like Cloudflare, Cloudflare has pages now. I think it's fairly new. Cloudflare does like number of builds per month in their free tier, whereas Netlify does build minutes. Yeah. Which is interesting to me because I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like I kind of like the total number of builds idea personally, but depending on how fast your builds go, I think one is way better than the other. I don't know. What's your, what's your take on that kind of thing? Like that difference in pricing structure, I guess. It, it totally depends on the website, I would say. Uh, because I kind of said Netlify was treating Gatsby as a first-class citizen, a lot of Gatsby builds are known to be very slow because of their image processing. So if you have like a content site, like a blog, and every blog is a, is a featured image, those images are processed in the build, which takes a while. Now, granted, they're coming out with better improvements to this and, and things like that, but I've noticed that Gatsby builds are starting to take longer the bigger my sites get. And therefore, I'm not liking the pay per build minute or like tiers of build minutes. I'd rather have total builds. But at the end of the day, the way I started combating this was um, having all my CI CD done inside of GitHub. So GitHub Actions would build everything or test everything. And Netlify does have a CLI command that can upload directories straight to Netlify. So you can, and GitHub Actions are free for open source. So you can get around that a little bit where you can start moving more of your CI CD over to, whether it be a Jenkins server or GitHub Actions or Travis or whatnot, and then having Netlify just do the host part and taking away that build aspect. Gotcha. And I think too, that's one thing when it comes to like free projects, especially being a little bit more diligent in your workflow. Cause I know personally, like when I'm working on something new in Gatsby or whatever, and I'm throwing it up on Netlify, I'm just like, make a small change, get add, get push, make a small yeah. change, get push. And you know, I'll just have like builds stacked up in Netlify, like waiting to run since it only runs one at a time. 
it doesn't matter because you know it's just like for a personal blog or something like that like 300 minutes of building is way more than i would ever use but i think that, that can help too when it comes to leveraging the free tier to like its full potential for sure i know i was listening to a podcast i forget what it was and they were talking about actually with a gatsby host like separating the image hosting so that like the image compression that Gatsby does and like resizing and everything was done separately and hosting those on like a CDN and then just pulling those images in with like old school URLs into their Gatsby site. Yeah. So you can essentially offload all of that image processing to somebody like ImageX, Cloudinary, like companies that do just that. I think it was Cloudinary that they were using. That's another service that you might have to pay for at some point in time. But the cool thing about Cloudinary is once an image has been transformed, it's saved to a CDN. And so you're not really running any more transformations on it. So even if you have a gazillion images, if they all get transformed once, that's really the only hit that you're going to take. The rest of it will be served from CDN, which is cool. Yeah. There's probably some like deep dive into like how to best leverage all the free services out there. And like, what's the, the optimal, like, you know, how big of a scale could you actually get to and not pay for it? It'd be really kind of an interesting, like little white paper or whatever. <laughs> I think it'd be cool to just like rattle off all the things that we've done or built or shipped for free. So do you want to start? Do you have any? Oh man, I don't have much other than just like little random, like, you know, personal like quiz apps. And um, there was an app that I just made recently. So given the fact that we've all been home for the past year, like dinner conversations can sometimes get repetitive in my family. <laughs> um, so I made like a little tiny web app that just like goes through like a list of, I think like a thousand random questions and you just like hit the website and it pulls up like, you know, like if you were any fruit, what fruit would you be? Or some random question like that, you know, like just That's like, awesome. if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? But, <laughs> you know, something like that. I don't know. Just like, you know, random questions to, to start conversations at the table instead of, you know, like, so today I sat in the living room. What gel did today? Oh, you <laughs> sat in the living room too? Fantastic. Um, you know, blogs, like portfolio websites for a couple of friends, just stuff like that. That's, I don't know. It's great to be doing it all for not paying anything. I have, like I said, I've used DigitalOcean a lot because they're really easy to set up a server and I will constantly just like blow away servers and reset them back up with paying the same five bucks a month. Um, so I know that's not free, but like five bucks a month is almost free. Mm -hmm. So, And you use like any promotional code from like any podcast and you'll get like a year for free. Yeah. Um, I know. So when I went back to school, I know that GitHub has a student what do they call it? It's like a student pack or a student something. And they had like digital oceans, like basically six months of digital ocean, um, the $5 plan. And like you get just a ridiculous number of things for free through that. Uh, so like if you can in any way verify that you are a student, check that out on GitHub. If you haven't done already, it's amazing. Um, yeah, like I know Wes Boss and Scott Talinsky, like through their podcast, I got like double sanity storage. So I've used sanity too. That's not something we didn't really talk about. I know you mentioned Firebase. We should probably talk about like data hosting too, maybe. That could be a whole nother episode. CMSs. Yeah. So maybe that, that would be a good idea. Like just talk about CMSs in general in another episode. Um, 
but yeah, so I don't know, just that kind of stuff. What about you? I I feel like I've built a mini empire for free at the cost. Well, like okay, at the cost of like two domain names, and and from there I've just subdomained things or you know added them to the path of the website and things like that. So I'll, I'll give one example. Uh, I run this website called DailyTexasCountry.com, and it's all about country music but it does a lot of things. It depends on serverless functions and all this stuff. So I hosted it on Netlify, that's free. So th thus far I've only paid for the domain name. And this also like automatically rebuilds every Thursday morning because I post YouTube videos on Wednesday nights called Whiskey Wednesday and that they need to be built back into the site so they can just be displayed on the front page. So that automatic cron job rebuild happens and instead of paying for like a vps to do that i use github actions scheduled workflows so that all runs for free right out of the repository how have you found the reliability of the github actions i mean a plus doesn't miss a beat uh and i do this once a week and then okay another thing that i use github actions for is this daily texas country site also has a twitter account where I post one song every day from this big old playlist. And so I use a GitHub action to schedule that. And it just runs a serverless function hosted on Netlify every morning at like 7 a.m. And this has run without fail every day, save one day. Uh, and when it failed, I got an email. I went to github.com, clicked rerun the job, done. Like it almost has alerting and monitoring built right in. Like, so this whole system of hosting your assets on Netlify, hosting your serverless functions on Netlify, and then using the repo itself to orchestrate things that need to happen, it just works so well for me. That's awesome. The reason I ask about the reliability is because I actually, I also set up a GitHub action to scrape Disney World wait times. So Disney oh. World has an API that will tell you the wait times. And I was looking at maybe doing like a little data visualization with that, but you have to like, you know, scrape the data for a while to get that. So I was running every five minutes, which is like the fastest you can run on the free tier. So I know I'm like, I'm pushing limits here, but it would just silently fail all of the time. It's probably because I was quasi abusing the free tier, you know, doing like the absolute most that they say that you can possibly do. So that's why I was curious. I know a lot of people really like it, and so I, I figured it was, you know, pushing the boundaries of what's free. And so, you know, the reliability starts to go down. The action was failing to trigger or uh, the, the code getting run was failing? The action just would never trigger. Oh, interesting. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah, I definitely fought with their cron syntax. Something was different about it. I can't remember what it was. It was like not traditional cron. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. It was, it's a weird like cron YAML strangeness so yeah i mean regardless of what free hosting platform you're using it sounds like and from what we've looked at and talked through that they're all pretty much the same as far as very similar features you know there's differences here and there whether you're talking like number of builds or build minutes um how much bandwidth they allow stuff like that but i think where it would get more nuanced and interesting would be once you get to the like actually having some sort of business based upon whatever you're building and you're getting like a lot of traffic and a lot of users at that point 
probably your hosting solution makes a lot more of an impact. But as far as like just being able to get something out there, make it useful and share it with the entire world with just putting in your time, there's a ridiculous number of options. And I think that's one of the things that actually drew me to the field, like to web development, was just the fact that for not even having to give a credit card away, you can have a website, you can have a portfolio, you can make projects and put them out there. And next thing you know, you could get hired into the tech field. Like if you're looking for a job, these are the types of services you should be using to share your work with potential employers. Yeah, it definitely has lowered the barrier of entry as far as being able to showcase what you're capable of without having to like learn the entire stack of servers to DNS to everything. I think if you've heard of the the term front of the front and back of the front, no, okay. So like Brad Frost, I believe mentioned this or Chris Coyer, I think they both gave talks that referred to this, but uh, if you're a front end person, there is the front of the front and the back of the front. The front of the front is like what semantic HTML, CSS, accessibility, and the back of the front is a little bit more like JavaScript data fetching and even like going into this DevOps side of things about deploying and hosting. And I think just because web development has become so specialized, uh, these services feel like a critical need where if you are anywhere in that front end space, it can kind of take care of some big pain points for you and also kind of allow you to do backend type things like serverless functions and get your foot in the door low with a low barrier to entry. Gotcha. That's interesting, like breaking down front end into even more <laughs> granular. But yeah, I definitely like, you know, I definitely can think of people who fit these like front of the front and back of the front roles in my past, like, you know, the CSS wizards are completely different than <laughs> it's a different skill set completely. Well, awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on this episode or is that going to that going to be a wrap? I think we covered it all. So that's all we had this week on Web Dev Weekly talking about free hosting options and our thoughts. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe in your podcast player and we'll see you next week.